0: all right welcome to the think podcast it is world view wednesday my name is joel and i'm
1: pastor Ray. what's up everybody and
0: what's up what's up everybody we are talking about something that is uh oh um let's just say of cosmic significance today
1: what we're talking about is anything we ever talk about not cosmic significance i mean yeah. that's, that's a way to start a podcast joel we're talking about something of cosmic significance.
0: Well, well, I mean, look, we're not just talking about uh, has Governor Pritzker um, overstepped his boundaries or, um, you know, what, uh, what fresh heresy is being taught in the church or something like that. We're talking about something that's going to be immediately relevant, immediately practical for folks, especially believers who are like, uh, you're looking out at the world and you realize, look, the world's big, the world's problems are big, I'm just one individual. And quite frankly, it can be a very terrifying thing to think about entering into the fray in order to bring some of that chaos into order long enough to get someone's attention to even share the gospel with him or her. Uh, It's a lot safer not to stick your neck out there just to play it safe, of course, at least for the time being. Um, but is this really what God wants? You know, did Jesus tell us to just sort of hunker down and play it safe, or did he give his disciples a freaking great commission and say, go out and disciple the nations, Matthew 28, 19. So here's the question. If Jesus wants us to disciple the nations as the church, and you're part of the church, the global church, what does it look like to get your piece of the great commission? where does God want to use you individually, you right now? That's what we need to talk about. And uh, Rafe, I've been chopping at the bit to talk about this with you because ever since you told me about your plan, which we have to get to a little bit later, I have been fascinated by it. I like it. I think it's something that's very much in line with um, something that I would want to do. But you're already, as usual, you're already uh, two steps ahead of me there.
1: Say hello. Hello. All right, go back now. <laughs> she got one in. Sorry, she's been waiting for that.
0: Uh, to anyone who is is not uh, watching live right now, Rafe's daughter just popped up and made a adorable little appearance. And there you go. And there you go.
1: So. And so working from home, right? When you work from home. Uh, then every once in a while, uh, something unexpected takes place that wouldn't happen at the office. Sorry, go ahead. That's you were right. talking about this amazing strategy that I have that is going to change the world.
0: It's going to well. At least you're you're part of it, and that's what we need to talk right. about. Is because how can you make a difference with what you have, where you are right now? So mm-hmm. let's let's um let's go ahead and get into this. First question we need to ask is um, what has God called us to, and what is the role that we as individuals have to play? So, Rafe, how, I, I look—I I don't want to interview you only on this, but we can go back and forth. But yeah. you know, like, what do you think about that? I mean, what what has God called us to? And actually, I want to know too your personal opinion. Um, do you think the Great Commission is who is that for? Is that just for the disciples, or do you see that as being for everyone?
1: Yeah, uh, so two separate questions. So uh, I've heard the argument that it's only for the apostles and the disciples. I think that's for everybody. Um, And the reason I think it's for everybody is I think uh, biblically what you see is that for the rest of the New Testament, after Jesus says that, you see the Holy Spirit being given. And one of the things he does is he constantly is sending his disciples and their disciples and those who come after them out with the message of the gospel. You literally see his Holy Spirit being sent. And one of the purposes uh, is to extend his kingdom through the work that the disciples do. And so I think those who make the case that the Great Commission is only for the apostles, um, they have a hard a hard case to make, um, especially when you consider that, you know, for some of those guys, they stayed in Jerusalem for their whole life. They didn't go to the other nations. Yeah. They had an international impact in Jerusalem. Uh, but Peter and a lot of those guys, certainly they traveled a bit, and they went to other cities here and there. But uh, their main ministry was in Jerusalem. And so I think it's a it's a command to every disciple uh, to go to the nations uh, and to bring the gospel with you wherever you go.
0: Wait, 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 wait! You just said not all the disciples went to the nations. Some of them stayed in uh, in Jerusalem there. But now
1: you're saying everyone needs
0: to everyone's called to go to the nations. Uh, that sounded like a contradiction to
1: me. Well, maybe it was a contradiction. <laughs> what I was trying to say in awesome. there. Awesome. No, what I was trying to say in there is it perhaps faulty logic however if you're going to make the case that the great commission was only for the apostles matthew chapter 28 i read that as my benediction after every single church service every sunday my people end with a benediction all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing the name of the father son and holy spirit i give them that benediction um if you're going to say that that was only for the apostles uh it it just the original point i was making was it seems strange that uh, some of them ended up going, making disciples of all nations, uh, but Peter and James ended up staying in Jerusalem and not necessarily going. Yeah. Um, which, w- the reason I think that's an interesting argument is because sometimes I hear people say that every Christian should pick up their home from their home and go to the nations. That every single... Right now, what I'm doing as a pastor in Chicago, really, this is probably not my calling. I should probably pick up and go to the nations. Um, and I would look at Peter and I'd look at James and say, wait a second. No, they, they, they had a home ministry in a sense where they were, they were effective. What do you think about that?
0: No, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. And, um, so the great commission is for every believer. I'm, I'm with you on that. Definitely. But I, I'm also with you that the great commission doesn't mean everyone has to pack up and go to the nations individually. So the commission itself is for all individual christians but the going to the nations is is not right. and i think you can pr- probably prove that grammatically if you look at matthew 28 18 through 20 um i'd have to go back and take another look at it but you know the the point has been made we don't need to believe uh, belabor it now but the going it's uh, when he it says go and make disciples going is a participle it, it does mean going I've also read that that doesn't negate it from being an actual command. So you are supposed to go. So we're called to go, but the emphasis is on disciple the nations. I mean, that's the that's the standalone command there. It's not pack up and go to the nations because then if you take that to its logical conclusion, every Christian is just always constantly getting up and going somewhere else. And that's that's you know, well, what do we do once we've discipled the nations? Do we just pack up and go somewhere else? Do we all do that or Is it possible that we're supposed to, you know, that discipling involves laying down roots, putting structures in place, putting systems in place, founding churches, spreading uh, churches, planting churches. And I think that's what Jesus, when Jesus says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, that's the now settle in, take root and begin to permeate through society this, um, the teaching that I've given you. Yeah. Go, going overseas, going across a national boundary, not for every Christian, although it's probably for more Christians than currently realized, right. but discipling the nations,
1: every Christian, everyone yeah. has to do that. Make disciples of all nations. That's, that's for everybody. Um, and I, I would even say, even if you end up uh, trying to make the case out of Matthew 28, that that great commission, he was speaking to the disciples and it doesn't extend beyond that closed group. I think you end up with the same, uh, effectively the same challenge and the same call in every Christian's life through the rest of the New Testament. Okay. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, it's an interesting case study on that particular uh, that particular verse. A but, the, but the bigger picture, I mean, what you're getting at <laughs> here, Joel, is what's our purpose? I mean, yeah, what, what are we supposed to be doing here? And, I, you know, one of the reasons I think this is an important question is I, as a pastor, one of the conversations I have regularly with people in our church, I'm a pastor of a church in the south loop of Chicago, which is fairly young. I get a lot of young folks. I mean by God's grace, we're diverse in our age range. and so we have our seniors and we have folks throughout throughout the different ages. But in terms of churches, uh, you know I think the average age is uh, late I don't know early 30s I think, uh, is probably the average age. And so I get a lot of folks who are in their early 30s uh, who are really asking that question, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, by the time you hit early 30, a lot of folks are beginning to get a little jaded with their career, realizing that uh, they might not uh, uh, become the hero they envisioned themselves being uh, when they graduated from college or from their master's degree or whatever they got in terms of, you know, they're a human like every other human being and they're called to live a, a life like every other person. And I think around the age of 30, it's not necessarily a midlife crisis, but I get to have that conversation with a lot of folks. What am I supposed to be doing? A lot of folks in their 30s end up asking me, "Should I drop? Should I stop what I'm doing and go to seminary and become a pastor? Is that is that what everyone basically what everyone should be doing?" And so this is relevant. I think a lot of people are asking this question. And for anybody listening, um, I think this is a very important topic for you because I think the Christian worldview gives you this powerful calling on your life, wherever you are if you're a follower of Christ, there's a specific calling that embodies uh, not just your personal wiring and the makeup God gave you as his son and daughter when he made you and formed you in the womb, that embodies your spiritual gifting and embodies all the networks and all the assets and all the things that God has put around you and your network at your disposal to make the most out of the glory of Jesus Christ in your in your space in your space of influence and so wherever you are wherever you're listening my hope for you is if you're feeling in your life like i don't necessarily have a special calling uh i think that uh hopefully you leave today having a far greater understanding of uh what treasure you behold as a son and daughter of the king and what he's called you to and how to make the most out of where you're at right now so that's a little yeah. a little preface for people listening to get a little amp for what we're talking about
0: that's good, man. you know, I um <laughs> I uh, shared something earlier on Facebook. um, you know, you and I behind the scenes, what people don't probably realize is we talk quite a bit about not only about mission but about eschatology as well mm-hmm. and uh, and man, that is something that I have been talking with a lot of my friends, uh, not not uh, let's say of those who are prone to having this kind of conversation in terms of like uh, what Eschatological scheme they subscribe to, and I've got a lot of guys who are leaning towards post mill right now.
1: Hmm. And so, for our newbie listeners, eschatological—that's a big word. So, walk them through. What, what are you talking about here?
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Eschatological, meaning um, having to do with the end times, the the last things, the eschaton, meaning uh, the end, the the last thing. And um, there are, there are different schemes that Christians subscribe to. Uh, I don't mean schemes like a nefarious plot, but like a a, a, pl- a plan, uh, a, a system, theological system that you subscribe to. And the biggest difference oftentimes boils down to not only this, but it boils down to when is Jesus coming back? And then how do you interpret the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ that is mentioned in Revelation chapter 20? Will Jesus come back first and then he'll have a thousand year reign? and then other things will happen after. That'd be the pre-mill position. And by the way, you can be pre-mill, and then you can be dispensational pre-mill, which um, not to go on too much of a tangent, but dude, I went to this uh, <laughs> Bible study on Sunday, and uh, the teacher was so good, so solid, until he went off on this rabbit trail of dispensational interpreting all the headlines and everything, and then he brought it back. And But at least i like, I was new to this group, so I'm sitting there going like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like that, like trying real hard. I have to speak. That's, that's right. I didn't and want to. Right I, you, you—that you were holding yourself back. If I know Joel said a case, you're holding yourself back. I was. I was, and oh, Elisa well, was. this, Joel. Answer this question and help make the connection for our listeners. That's, that's yeah, I'm getting there. Why, why, and how? And, and you know, when you when you're first introduced to the topic of eschatology, it sounds like a really fun seminary topic, right? Right. Like, right. Let's. Hey, who doesn't like opening their Bibles and trying to figure out end-time stuff? I remember the first time I picked up a left-behind book. I was a senior in high school, uh, and I remember picking up and being like, Whoa, like I did not even realize this stuff was in the Bible. Um, And so this is a fascinating topic. Fascinating. Help walk us through, connect it to me. We're talking about living with a purpose in life. So what does eschatology, what we think about end times and where this whole thing is going, have to do with my purpose in life and my calling in life?
0: Right, so... Uh, very good, very fair question and discussion point. So, what made me think about all of this was earlier today, I posted a. Uh, I like to post the proverbs of the day, uh, one or more proverbs from um, the book of proverbs in the Bible, based on whatever whatever the date is. Today's September second, as we're recording this, and uh, so I posted something from Proverbs chapter two. It's verse twenty one. It says this: "The upright will inhabit the land, and those of integrity." Will remain in it, and I posted that. Oh, and then I posted a little comment, and uh, the comments have to be short enough that that Facebook still lets me put the cool graphic behind it. And I said, "Godliness has a bright future." And so I like to put a little, a little pithy, little you know, one-liner sentence uh, at the end of these things Uh when I post them. And Tyler Tardici from Aurora, he's a associate pastor at a church out in Aurora. Good dude, good brother. never met him personally but we've had some interactions and uh, he's a friend of a friend but he he goes he just goes are you post mail and because i because that's such an optimistic verse for me to be sharing uh-huh. I, I said i said no i'm not uh, but you'd be excused for thinking so and the reason why i say that and how all this ties back together is this the the bible is a depending on how you grew up scripture is a lot less pessimistic about the future of the world than right. you might have been taught and what I mean by that is now we look at the passages about persecution and we go man that's that's rough we're gonna be led like sheep to the slaughter and uh you know we're gonna be we're gonna be um, our blood's gonna be spilled it's gonna be wretched and you know what scripture, does absolutely say that. And that's been the history of the church. As a matter of fact, the Christian church is more persecuted now than it ever has been in in pure numerical values in its 2000 year history. So you could look at stats like that and passages like that and say, well, things are pretty pessimistic. I guess things are just going to get worse. But then you read Proverbs and you read Revelation and you read these other uh, passages that talk about, well, um, the knowledge of God is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea and i'm not going full post mail here Rafe. but you know you read these passages like and, it. and and you know how the, the the kingdom of god is like a little leaven that you that you put into a lump and it of dough and it spreads all throughout if you're not a baker you know the leaven is yeast it goes it works its way through and you read these, these like
1: a verses. seed starts as the smallest of seeds but grows to a great tree yep. in the forest yeah the birds exactly. of the air take nest that's right yeah.
0: And and then and then you look at the commission Jesus gave us and he says no go disciple the nations. Mm-hmm. And it's like okay. All right. So what's the end game here? Um, along the way a lot of us are going to get trampled down and destroyed. I'm talking a lot of us are going to get killed. We're going to get we're going to get um, we're going to have our rights taken away. Not that not that we just resign ourselves to this fate, but the fact of the matter is it's true, it's going to happen and it is happening. Look at Nigeria, look at China. And look at India, Pakistan. But then you go, but Jesus gave us a mission and he promised us victory. Now, the mission is for each individual Christian. It's for the whole church and it's for each individual Christian. But it's also uh, for the the universal church. And the universal church is promised victory. So now, in light of the victory of the church— However that's going to look, however, at the end of it, Jesus is going to come back. I do believe that Jesus is going to come back and he'll put the final enemy to death. That is uh, death. No. Okay. Right. And now, now all that being said, I'm still not post mill. I, I am an optimistic amel. Um, we can get into that another time or or today. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But all of that is running in the background as we look at the great commission. And then we go now for however much time Jesus has me here with the resources he's given me and the place where he's put me. How can I use these resources and the education and the training he's given me? And how can I maximize that and marshal all the resources I can and strategically go out into the world and win some decisive points and some decisive victories for King Jesus to further his kingdom. And if I die along the way, I will have trained and discipled other believers to go ahead and fill in my vacancy so that the kingdom of God and its advance never skips a beat. And that's what's going on in my head as I now think about how do I find my peace in the Great
1: Commission? Right. Oh, that's so good. Well, and let me let me connect a couple dots there too that maybe will be helpful for those listening. So one of the reasons I think this has relevance uh, to the conversation, our eschatology connecting it to our purpose. Now, make sure you hear what we're saying. We're not saying that we should figure out what our eschatology is based on what makes our purpose more meaningful, right? That's not it. We want to know what does the Bible teach, and then out of that worldview, live out of that consistently. And so our first job as Bible students is to really figure out what does the Bible really teach on this, and to go with that as our starting place um let's let's just throw this out if you take a premillennial view uh so uh if the premillennial view meaning that the millennium that's spoken about in the book of revelation is in the future it's yet to come and that essentially what's going to happen usually the way premillennialism works out is that they they see the future of the world as kind of at some point hitting a peak and kind of progressively getting worse until the tribulation when it gets really bad and then the millennium where Christ will reign all before the final heaven and the final new heaven and the new earth. What that means is, is that where we're headed right now in terms of the goodness of the fabric of society uh, is that it, it's kind of, I don't know, on a general trajectory, I don't know, it's definitely not going up. It's kind of headed towards a going down season, and then it's going to get really bad. Now, if that's your worldview, and if that's what you think is going to happen in the future— consistently living with that you almost have to go against what would be your natural reaction because if you know it's going to get bad if you know if you know there's really not the church is not going to be victorious at the end of the day then what motivation is there to go out and make disciples of everybody well you have the obedience factor jesus told you to so and that's a good factor i mean that that's enough right but also you have this worldview that you won't necessarily be very successful at it The and so to to be consistent you kind of have to um, you do it joyfully, gleefully, faithfully to make disciples, but you don't necessarily do it with the vision that, man, we're going to take some ground as a Christian. On the other hand, if you have a post-millennial view, and I'm skipping over on millennialism, if you have a post-millennial view, they believe that where society is going, is it, it's ramping up. Christianity has been planted, the, the, the small mustard seed has been planted by Jesus, it is now growing to the greatest tree in the forest. And what that means is that as it grows, it's going to take over culture. It's going to take over society. It's going to take over government. It's going to take over every sphere of authority and influence until finally the last enemy of Christ to be de- to be defeated will be death itself. So in a, in a sense, we're going to keep getting better. Now, if that's your worldview, the motivation you have to go out and make disciples is obedience to Jesus. Yes and amen. That's good. Same as the pre guy. The post-mill guy has an added motivation, which is a true belief that the church and your work will be uh, eschatologically successful. You will, through your work in some way, small or great, build towards this kingdom that's expanding and expanding until Christ returns. And I think what you and I often talk about is that that post-millennial worldview historically and today has given rise to some of the greatest Christian work the world's ever seen. It was guys who held to that belief and out of that worldview, they founded nations, right? The early, the early pilgrims who founded the country where we're doing this right now, were are doing it often out of a post-mill worldview. Some of the guys right now that are changing systems and fighting against abortion and, and really saying, let's take ground. We're the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Didn't Jesus say that? We're going to tackle them, and they're not going to stand when we tackle them. It's post-mill guys. Not always, but very often. And, uh, and because of that, uh, it's, to be honest, it's very compelling and it's worth studying coming to true biblical uh, convictions over what the Bible really says. So I'm just trying to connect dots that maybe weren't fully connected there.
0: That's good. That's good. Yep. So, so now um, we need to talk about how our listeners and how we've, we've wrestled with this ourselves, but um, how to identify your own peace of the great commission, because it's a big world out there. There are a lot of nations and quite frankly, there's a lot of nations in my own neighborhood. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, I mean, living in the city of Chicago, it's, it's, it's incredibly diverse. The issues that we could possibly tackle um, within and, and outside of the church are numerous. So as we're looking around uh, here's what can be helpful. Well, actually, I want I want you to share your thoughts on that first. You know, I want to I want to go to the three spheres, um, light lightly. I don't I don't want to I don't want to uh, dive deeply into that because I'm, you know, we can do that another time. But, but what about for you, Rafe? Um, as you've like wrestled with this question of like, what's my piece of the Great Commission? How did you personally wrestle with that? How do you think Christians should wrestle with that and and come to answer that question?
1: yeah well I'm gonna I'm gonna share briefly because I think uh, I really want to hear about your your, your spheres and, and I think that's an important part of this conversation a bit of my personal story um, my journey I'm a pastor now obviously I wasn't always a pastor I graduated undergrad with a business degree uh, I, I I came to know Jesus when I was 17 and I was a wreck in college uh, but God sent some men into my life as he does for his sons and daughters he sends people into your life to shape you and grow you through seasons And so if you're a Christian, be looking for those people that God's going to try to use to shape you and develop you and mature you. Um, I ended up being a missionary for a year after graduating college in Thailand. Loved my time there. Um, God was very faithful and doing some great work there. But I came home and took a job in corporate America afterwards. I had a ton of student loans to pay off. And I remember thinking, you know, maybe I'm called a full-time ministry. I don't know. I didn't grow up in a, you know, a a Christian house where we were like, we knew pastors. And that wasn't a a frame of reference I had all that much. But... I wanted to take a job in corporate America. And I worked for five years uh, in corporate America. And I'll say this, I loved my job. <laughs> if anybody's listening, in fact, they probably are one or two folks listening from uh, just good friends from the old days. And uh, I loved that work. I felt while I was working in my corporate job that I was being as faithful as I could have been. I was opening every day in my devotion life, studying his word, getting to know him. I was deeply plugged into his church. I was serving at his church. I was being faithful in the place I felt I could be faithful as a husband. Um, and regularly I was praying like this. I was just praying, God, I think I'm being faithful, as faithful as I can see and do. That's all a human can do. I think I'm being as faithful as I can. I'm praying. Right. I'm trying to reach my coworkers, but I'm also trying to be a good employee and do the best work possible. Okay. I'm trying to be faithful with the things you've given me. If you have something different for me, I'm I'm not necessarily hungry for anything different. I just want to be faithful to you. And so you, you let me know. And uh, my journey was that I basically foresaw at that point uh, me staying in that job for many, many years. I just thought I was being faithful, and, and I, it was a good thing. Uh, but God was really clear, and he, uh, I had a, a moment of reckoning where God really particularly called me out of that and then called me into something new, the, into ministry. The reason I share that story is to say the starting place for understanding your calling is that posture. First uh, Peter three fifteen. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's that's the that's the place where Christians begin with their calling, and they recognize God's called you. He saves you, and He has you where you are for whatever purpose He's got you there, small or large. And your job is every day to be faithful in all aspects of your life, knowing that it's all His. Your marriage is His. Your kids are His. <laughs> your money is His. Your home is His. Your job is His. Your boss is you know, He everything is his, and you want to honor him in the way that you do it. You want to represent him as an ambassador for Christ in all those places, and that is your calling where you are, Uh, and I want to make sure folks hear that, that uh, it's not, I had a a, a wrong notion in my head. I remember early on when I decided to be a missionary after college, I thought if I really want to be faithful, I got to be a missionary. I got to go somewhere far away, and so I applied to be a missionary, and when they told me in my mind, I saw myself with, like, you know, a machete chopping down, like, like, like weeds, trying to get to, like, the bush in Africa. And when they told me I was going to a city in Thailand, I thought, man, now I'm going to be second class in in God's kingdom. I'm not going to be frontline. <laughs> right. And man, what an upside down worldview I had. Nothing in the Scripture is like that. God has particular calling on your life. And it's no less or more, we honor those who go overseas, we celebrate our missionaries, and we love that God calls them, and it's definitely, a, it's definitely an, an important work. But it's no less or more a calling. Each person has a calling, and your job is to hold your life openly before God and right. ask God, what would you have me do today? So that's, that's, my, uh, that's a bit of my journey and how I would how do that. Joel, that's really good, man. And lead us into the, uh, the sphere conversation. I definitely well, want to get into there.
0: No, so so that's really good. Looking at where you are right now, and and recognizing, I like what you said. That's no less a calling. That's no less a calling. Now right. it's going to be up to the Lord to determine on Judgment Day on that last day. Okay, this was a higher calling. That was a lower calling. You, you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, and one thing that we find out in Scripture is that one of the things Jesus says is. Many who are last shall be first, and the first last, right? So, if we try to decipher, okay, is John Calvin going to get a greater reward than the garbage man in Spokane who's just trying to love the Lord, share the gospel with his neighbor, and treat his wife and kids well? Like, I, in my immediate thinking, I go, Well, yeah, of course, John Calvin, I mean, like, obviously, he's going to get a greater reward. I mean, he's a brilliant theologian, but then, but then, but then. Someone might come along and say, Yeah, but but in Christ's kingdom, that you know, he always elevates the lowly, so it's actually the garbage man who's gonna get and and to that, well, okay, but I mean, doesn't that just go to show you that you actually can't predict? So, I'm gonna leave all those judgments to God in terms of what calling is bigger, better, more important, less important. Um, Charles Spurgeon said when it comes to being in the house of God, he's happy to be the doormat for the saints to scrape their boots off on. It's like, if I'm in, make me as lowly as you want, Lord. That's good enough for me. I just want to be a part of your house.
1: Yeah. Well, what's interesting is I think it's our modern false worldview that gives rise to thinking that God is somehow unjust or unfair to give John Calvin a greater gift than he gave you. Right. And that's just not true. There's no fairness about it. It's God's prerogative. Right. He gives out his gifts Uh, in different measures, is what the scriptures say, to different people. And uh, I I do not need to sit here and lament that Billy Graham had a stronger preaching gift than I do. Amen. It's okay. My job is to be me with the gifts God gave me and to be as faithful as I can in the lane God's given me and to disciple others like you said. i will never forget, Joel, one day I was praying. uh, I was praying over a sermon that I was giving, and I I had my head down like this, and the words that came out of my mouth were, God— you could take my voice from me right now, yeah. And the, as soon as I said it, I'm not getting Joel. As soon as I said it, uh, I don't know if like a drop of spit dropped down or something in my th- something happened in my throat where I went into about a 10 minute coughing bout. At that moment, that's never happened. I've never been praying and then out of nowhere, I don't go into coughing bouts. In that moment, I said, "You could take my voice away now." Boom! Started coughing like i couldn't stop it and god shook me up at that moment so hard in fact i almost couldn't get any more work done the rest of that day and and what it was was it was a reminder of god saying you're right (laughs) you're right i could take it tomorrow and that would be my prerogative if i did don't find your identity in being a preacher don't find your identity in something else you're my son and you be faithful what i've called you to and i think that's important for for everyone to know god 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 gives you the gifts and the times and the measures on his prerogative.
0: Yeah. And he also places you where he wants you to be. You look at Acts 17, it says, from one man, God made all the nations of the world and he he placed them where he wanted them to be, which means, look, you're part of the nations. I'm part of the nations. We have been placed in a particular milieu in history to certain parents. And according to Ephesians 2.10, God has prepared in advance good works for us to do so to understand what god wants us to do us as as individuals it can be very helpful to understand the spheres of society and uh as you know i was talking with our mutual friend well you introduced me to him Kaldun swice and he was talking about the different spheres of society that influence um actually you know something rave i want to go here I want to go here rather than those spheres of authority. Okay. Because what I just realized is is that uh do du- what I here's the thing. I'm going to I'm going to have him on and we're going to actually hash this out big time. Um and we're going to talk Bring about on right him. now. You want to call him up? Oh, I thought that's what you were saying. No, 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 no. You phone to call him in. No. Uh, here's what he said. Let's see. Okay. Entertainment, government, news, the academy, sports, and corporations. So he identifies those as touch points or um, uh, uh, engines for cultural change. And you know what? Actually, I'm gonna go back on what I just said. I do wanna go back to the spheres of authority because um, the culture is driven by these different engines. But within culture, there are three realms that God has specifically in scripture given authority to. And those are, the household the church and the state right there are those are the three spheres of authority and we we call them spheres of authority because in scripture god lays out expectations and guidelines for their function and for their authority structure and and now that that's not to say that like um you know, the Bible talks about kings or governors or emperors, and therefore every nation needs to have a king, governor, or emperor. That's that's not the point. The point is that government, the state, is a legitimate sphere of authority, and whatever the structure is, Christians are to act a certain way towards government. But when you break these three spheres down, what you find out is that we are functioning as Christians. We're functioning in in all three of them, in different capacities. Right. And if you want to know your particular calling, and if, if you've been listening so far, watching so far, and you're like, okay, so I need to look at where I am. I need to look at the context in which God's placed me. These three spheres can be a good guideline to um, a, a good, um, whether it's the map, the whole map, or just the legend on the map to help you understand the whole map, to help you figure out where God wants you to serve. So let's take the household first do you belong to a household? Has God has God placed you in a home with other individuals who are related to you, whether by blood, through adoption, through some other means? If so, then there are guidelines in scripture for how you are to interact with them. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, ch- chapter 5, for example. Um, Colossians has a similar passage. And God wants you, now let's say you're Uh, uh, let's say you're a college student and you're technically still under the authority of your parents. Okay. There's a certain way you're supposed to relate to your parents. Maybe they're believers. Maybe they're not. And you know, you can open up your Bible and get guidance for how you can, let's say evangelize your parents. If they're not believers, maybe you came to uh, become a Christian in, in college and your parents are not yet believers. God has placed you in that family for, don't you think God has put you in that family for a reason? Right. Don't you think that he had you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and then put you back into that household? Why do you think he did that? Could it be because he wants you to evangelize and disciple your parents? It's a weird thing to think about teaching your parents something. Well, for not for some of you, not for me when I was 22. Okay. Now that I'm 36, it's like, man, my parents know so much more, right. but, but, God has placed you there. If you're, let's say you're uh, a husband and maybe even a husband and a dad. God has called you to interact with, to lead your wife and kids. Maybe your wife is a believer, but she's a newer believer. Maybe she came to faith after you. God wants you to disciple her, to lead her. Now you might say, okay, but what does any of this have to do with my, my mission in life? Well, when Jesus said disciple the nations, this is the kind of thing he's talking about. He's not, how do we know? How do we know? Because he authorized the apostles who wrote these epistles with all these great guidelines in them on how to live as a Christian, as a believer. You are fulfilling the commission, the great commission of Jesus Christ when you disciple the members of your own household. Um, So look around. What's that, What's the context God has put you in in your home? Or what about do you belong to a local church now? My family and I right now are sort of in transition there, Rafe, as you know, but, um, but where? Uh, so we're we're currently staying out of, we're spending a lot of time out of state right now. Put it that way, and we've been attending this church in uh, in Indiana, and I've actually met with the pastor to sort of interview him, you might say, and to try to you know figure out, is this guy legit? Is his theology good? Is he going to lead my family astray? Or is he is he solid? And um, another reason I wanted to do that is because I wanted to open the door to have future conversations on how I, my wife and I, my family and I, can serve the church yeah. and help the church fulfill its mission. Okay, But are, do you belong to a local church? That's, God has put you there and he's given you spiritual gifts to serve the church. And then finally, uh, when it comes to government, you might say, well, I'll never impact government. You know, that's that's so far beyond me. I mean, I, I'm not going to get elected to the you know, president. I'm not going to be a senator. I, I don't even have aspirations for that. Okay, that's fine. But I will say, though, Rafe, uh, I just tweeted out yesterday an invitation to Donald Trump to come on our podcast. All right. Uh, so who knows? But who says, now, shame on us as Christian teachers for not laying down this understanding a little better. Government is not just federal government. Government. There are multiple layers, levels, and spheres within government. Maybe, um, maybe government might look. Maybe influencing government might look more like your city council. Uh, Yeah. Like Apologia Church does a great job with that. They go before the Phoenix. I think it's the Phoenix City Council to advocate for the lives of the unborn. Right. It could be something very low level. It might even be your HOA.
1: It's not necessarily low-level. It's a very Christian value. Al Moeller just did a great job talking about this a while ago with the doctrine of subsidiarism. subsidiarism. Um, subsidiarity? Subsidiarity. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but the idea that we Christians historically have believed in the smallest form of government as the best form of government, meaning yeah. uh, local government is best for, for ha- dealing with local issues. That's what's best. And so that's not a small thing by any means. It's a great thing to be involved in your local government, and it's a high calling for Christians to get to be able to participate in a local government in that way. What freedom democracy has brought us out of the Christian worldview, which is where that was rooted. And so what an, in some ways, what an honor for Christians to get to step into a place where they can, they can be on different boards and different committees and influence their city's government with a Christian worldview. That's a powerful thing. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. They're ab- absolutely right. So that's that's what I wanted to to mention in terms of, and and actually, Rafe, as you know, I've got that discipleship cohort that we run through the Think Institute, called the Hammer and Anvil Society. Uh huh. And over the last three months, this is one of the things that that I've been going through with those guys: the three spheres of authority, and how to have an impact on each one, and. It's just so important for Christians who are feeling shiftless and aimless, purposeless to look down at their own two feet and say, where has God planted me? And, and listen, God may very well plant you somewhere else. That's his right. Uh, Enoch walked with God and then he was no more for the, for the Lord took him. Elijah went up to be with the Lord. Um, uh, what's his name? Philip, the evangelist would be talking with, with one guy, the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts. Next thing you know, bam, he's somewhere else. The Lord can move you and position you any way he wants. He uses, he even uses persecution, like in Acts chapter nine, to to spread his people out. So God's totally sovereign, but right now, where are you? Right now, who are the relationships that God has generously granted to you? And how does God want you to reach them? Well, for that, all you have to do is open up your Bible.
1: Yeah. You know, there's a great, uh, I just taught a class, uh, Not, I, you know, I just finished this men's ministry I've been teaching, and one of the topics was on calling in life and work and how we're supposed to address our work. I think it's important. Um, and, you know, there's a great passage in Genesis 1 that's been called the cultural mandate. So Genesis 1, right. God looks down at Adam and Eve. He says, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So quite literally, God gave Adam and Eve a, a mandate. It was a commissioning before the great commissioning, which is a very particular commissioning to make the name of Jesus Christ known. They were given a cultural mandate uh, to, to literally be botanists and zoologists and farmers, <laughs> which I love. That was their job. They were to take the earth, they were to subdue it, and they were to be faithful in that work. And and whenever, when Christians uh, pick up on that idea to to cultivate God's land and to, and to exercise dominion over his creation and everything else that's been created, we are picking up that same cultural mandate and living it out. And Tim Keller, uh, there's a great quote from Tim Keller uh, in his book Every Good Endeavor. And I want to read this to us. I think this this is a great quote that summarizes how we can think about this. He says we are continuing God's work of forming, filling and subduing. Whenever we bring under whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative cultural development. The material creation was made by God to be developed. Cultivated and cared for in an endless number of ways through human labor, but even the simplest of these ways is important. Without them, all human life cannot flourish. And I think that's the end of the quote. I think what's so important of that quote is that gives dignity, and value, and meaning to so many of the things Christians oftentimes find as just normal. Almost like they look at their life and they 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 think the old. Uh, Uh, Let let me me double this up a little bit. They look at their life and they, they have the wrong view that there's some things we do that are sacred, you know, and there's some things we do that are secular. There's some things we do that are kind of spiritual. And there's other things that are just the mundane. It's the regular stuff we always do. And you can trace that thought. You can trace that back to an old heresy called Gnosticism. that is is gnosticism that says that there's this truly deep spiritual work and if you want to be a spiritual guy here's what you got to do you got to know some secret information you got to go to a secret club and you got to say a couple chants in the right way and it's all this religious stuff and the bible and the early christians just declared gnosticism a heresy and they said get that out of here that's not a christian way of thinking when we see the world christians we don't see sacred and secular we see jesus's dominion over all creation and us his ambassadors stepping in as his ambassadors and then continuing the cultural mandate and the great commission in everything we do so when we work if you are a plumber and you are bringing order out of a chaos of pipes in the back of someone's house (laughs) that is that is spilling water into their home amen been there many times hey hey praise god for plumbers and God celebrates the work of the plumber and says, good work, my good faithful servant, because you are fulfilling that cultural mandate that I gave Adam way back in the garden. And you're doing exactly what scripture yeah. tells you to be faithful, working with your hands. That's New Testament language right there. That's good. And so I, I, when we begin to get this and we begin to separate this idea, some people look at the pastor or they look at you, Joel, as an evangelist, and they think, well, there's someone who's doing spiritual work. No. Every Christian does spiritual work in the place where God has called them to do it. There is not this sacred-secular split. It's all God's dominion, and we've been given a calling and a place to exercise our work wherever we go. Um, make sense? <laughs> I think that's been so important. I want to make sure people are grasping this material yeah. because as long as that, that was the mistake I was thinking back before when I said, I thought I had to be a missionary in Africa to be a real Christian. Right, right. What okay. A,
0: what a minute. We got Well, okay. We've got to. We've got to. You know what? We've got to handle this objection okay. because in a minute, bef- before before we are done, you've got to talk about your strategy. Okay. Um, and I want to talk about. I want to talk about our current move and what some of the, some of the things we're processing through. But, um, y- you're a guy who has. Who, I mean, you strategize. You. I mean you've you you plan things in advance in fact your whole uh, ministry calendar that you do I don't know if you remember this I completely stole that idea and just appropriated that and that became my you know planning out the I don't know even I guess it was the Sunday service calendar uh-huh no and the and the weekly stuff too when yeah. I, uh, and for the church so this is back when I was a pastor and uh, I know that you like to strategize uh uh-huh. I know you like to look for decisive uh Points and and how to how to strategically make an impact for the gospel. Why strategize? This is the objection, hypothetically. Okay. Why strategize when God's got this? God's in control. He's gonna do what he does. It's not like Philip the Evangelist strategized, hey, I'm gonna go spread the gospel to Ethiopia by Finding an Ethiopian eunuch, and oh look, there's an Ethiopian eunuch just like I knew he passed by this way at 3 p.m. every day, and now my plan is working. So, is is strategy really even a biblical? Um, as I'm saying this, I, I'm I'm I know I believe it is, but I want to know what are your thoughts? Is strategy even biblical?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to answer that in two two ways. The first way is by considering how how Christians listen to the holy spirit um in the new testament it's a fascinating fascinating study to read through the book of acts and to 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 listen to the way that they heard from the holy spirit sometimes the holy spirit showed up like a like a mighty rushing wind in the room and it was like right right and it, it just all this crazy stuff was happening sometimes people started speaking in tongues other times we don't get any of those details so let me read here's um Oh, gosh, Acts 15, 28. He says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. What does that mean? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. How, how did that work? Or earlier on in Acts, right. I was just, I'm in the book of Acts in my own part of my own devotion life right now. Earlier on in Acts, uh, Paul is getting ready to, to go to the next city, and it says, the Holy Spirit hindered me from going into this city. And then the Holy Spirit stopped me from going into this city. We don't know how that did that. Was it a voice? Was, how did it work? Here's what it seems to me. It seems that in general, a general working principle is that in the, in the early New Testament church, prayed, prayed and listened. And didn't make quick, decisive, strategic decisions, but they listened, they thought, they labored together, they prayed, they waited for the Holy Spirit's response, and they made decisions to move forward in unity. And they believed, I think when we read in Acts 15, 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden. I think what it means is, is that they saw the Holy Spirit working through their collaborative prayer and decision making. And oftentimes God would then show up and stop them. Paul obviously had a plan to go to certain cities and the Holy Spirit came along and said, I was not in that decision that I'm stopping you from going there. And that's one of the joys of following the Lord is that you're listening to the Holy Spirit and you're doing the best you can giving it to him and, and he will guide you along the way. But I don't think you always need to wait for a voice. You don't always need to wait for, uh, you know, some prophetic word. To, to make decisions and strategies of how you're going to move forward. You pray, you make decisions, you go forward, you trust that the Holy Spirit's in you and working through you. And I think that's what we saw the early New Testament church doing. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I, I, well, I've wondered about that. I've always wondered about that. Was there a prophetic word? What Was it back in those days, there were prophets, New Testament prophets who helped actually form the churches, and uh, to correct doctrine and things like that. So was it through one of these prophecies? If you think about Agabus, who stood up in Acts and things like that, and mm-hmm. and, and made prophecies, I I don't I don't know. I will say I do trust God to um, to work and to guide, and and I I also think is it Kevin DeYoung? Someone's got a book called Just Do Something, mm. and I like that principle do something don't sit around twiddling your thumbs waiting for the sign you know to to waiting for that that cloud to take the shape of the country you're supposed to go to or something like that um do something see if the lord blesses it like what you were saying earlier rafe god i don't think i'm being unfaithful but if i am you know show me and Look, if you're not aware, as the Apostle Paul said, I'm not aware of any accusation against myself, but it's God who judges, let God show you um, any any sin that's hampering you from hearing from him, and then pray about it and do it. Do yeah. what you want to do. Do what you want to do. But again, avoiding sin, but do what you want to do and trust that the Lord will lead you.
1: And, 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 he, and here's what you want to do. You don't want to make the mistake Saul made in 1 Samuel 13. The mistake Saul made is that Samuel told him to wait. He had specific instructions, the right. word of, from from a prophet <laughs> of what to do. And he waited and he waited and he waited and then he took matters into his own hands. Now and, and he was reproved for it. He frankly lost the kingdom because of it. The, that mistake is when we soup when we impose What we want to have happen above the word of God, which is what Saul did. He had the word of God through Samuel, who was a prophet, told him what to do. And then he moved forward without waiting on God's word, taking matters into his own hand. I don't, the way to avoid that is to develop a prayer filled life. When you are, when you are living a prayer filled life where you're genuinely holding things open to the Lord, I think God gives permission for us to strategize with the best of our brain can possibly do to cultivate, to create, to move forward and use systems and tools to bring about God's glory. But when you're doing it in a prayerless way, it's very easy to just be totally out of sync with the spirit and what he's doing in your life. And so yeah. you have the relationship at the center.
0: Yeah, that's true. And one other caveat there as well, if you're praying and you go forward and God does something different than what you expected, It doesn't mean you were in sin. It may mean that you misinterpreted God. It may mean that you were in sin. That's a possibility. It may also mean that God's plan was always to bring you this way and to let you experience a particular outcome, or maybe even a failure. Right. You know that's perfectly possible. Right. Um, so you really have to leave the the armchair quarterbacking to somebody else, to the Lord, don't sit back and go, nah, now I now uh, hindsight is showing me that this didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. Therefore, this wasn't God's plan. God's sovereign way beyond yeah. you feeling good about the way things turned
1: out. Oh man, God shipwrecked Paul. Right. And you know what? I'm sure as the ship was going down, there was a little bit of Paul that was like, Ugh. like, <laughs> <this> was <not laughs> right. well. but what happened? God used the shipwreck. To save an entire island. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like God had God uses shipwrecks. We got to realize that. Like the ship, not to overextend the metaphor, but the shipwrecks in our life, like God's fully in control, and he might just be redirecting you to a place yeah. where he specifically has called you. And in the middle of a shipwreck, we got to have our eyes open and on a swivel to say, God, who am I supposed to be sharing the gospel with right now? Yeah. That's that's, that's what Christians do.
0: That was a very tweetable moment there. Somebody watching, turn that into a tweet. That was good. Uh <laughs> The shipwrecks of life. That's, that's good, man. There's a there's yeah. a book, there's a book in there.
1: Yeah, Oprah might have written that one. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. All right. So all that being said, what are you guys doing? Because I think this is brilliant, man. What are you guys doing on the on the oh here, look, before we I gotta tell you, I want to tell you about what I'm looking for right now, Rafe. Tell me. So as you well know, we're we're moving out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if all of our listeners know that, all of our viewers know that. But that is that is something that my family is doing, and it's uh, it's something that is uh, a, a result of a lot of prayer, a lot of talking with people. Um, we we've spoken with the elders of the church and all sorts of things. So it's not something that we're taking lightly by any means. But we're moving now. Here's the here's the issue. Where do we move to? So our house is under contract right now. Actually, praise the Lord. I think it's going to go through, God God willing. And we actually, we, we're we in good shape. We actually have a place to stay. I won't get into all that, but God's been very generous and, and gracious to us. But where are we going to land? That's the real question. And Rafe, I've been thinking about this, um, getting our piece of the Great Commission. And it's a it's interesting because I run a ministry, as you well know, called the Think Institute. And the Think Institute has deep ties to the city of Chicago. Park South Loop, your church, a couple of other church, uh, a couple of other churches we've been partnering with, ministries. I'm actually working on something with a homeschool co-op here in the city. Some uh, really cool curriculum, really, really, really cool. And then you and I, we've got these uh, initiatives we're planning, which I won't get into now. Very cool stuff. Stay tuned. But despite our ties to Chicago, I can do this work anywhere. I can travel back to Chicago. I don't have to live in the city. Um, I could even, you know, take a train plane, or automobile back to the city. So the question is, where should we move to? Where is the Lord calling us to? And man, I'll tell you what I, what I'm looking for is I want to be strategic. So listeners, viewers, please actually, please pray for me in this and, and my wife. We need clarity. I'm looking for, uh, I'm looking for a, um, a a, a location where we can have an impact not just by evangelism yes through evangelism definitely never less than evangelism but where's an area where we can influence these spheres of authority local churches not in a a nefarious way obviously Rafe like I'm talking about solid churches that are preaching the, the gospel and I want to give them the tools to help them do that even more not, I'm not being arrogant. Look, all the disclaimers I need to say here, okay, I said them. I, local churches and local government, as well as those other spheres of culture and society from Khaldun that I mentioned to you earlier. Media, you know, entertainment, um, all these different things. So, dude, but here's the thing. And I've talked with Doug Wilson about this on my podcast, which, by the way, anyone listening, if you haven't listened to my conversation with Doug Wilson, it's called How to Start a revolution but revolution is crossed out and it says reformation you can watch it on youtube facebook or the or um the think podcast on uh, apple podcast or spotify or whatever but check that out but it has to be a decisive point rafe and i know this is you're muted by the way i know this is what you're doing and this is i want this is the a preface to what you're talking about in the south loop because this can be done yep. in cities it can be done and i think you're you're doing it but for me, I'm looking for that town, or that small city, yep, um, that that is sort of a microcosm of a of a society where uh-huh. it's where there's a seat of government, there's a, um, a a local church movement in some way, whether that's a lot of churches or whether it's someone trying to get that going, um, but but something that would be strategic. And feasible, meaning it's not too large that we'll never take it. It'll take us 100 years to take it. Right. And when I say take it, I mean I want to increase the gospel presence there and set up that town as a gospel outpost to then run bu- run a bunch of ministries and businesses and um and, and other institutions out of, I want to see the Think Institute go brick and mortar. And then I want to send out other ministries and churches and church planters to do the, the, the same thing in the next town over right. or to go become a professor at the local university or whatever. But 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 Rafe, that's what I want to see.
1: Yeah. Man. And well it's very post millennial of you, Joel.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it's not. it's optimistic
1: <laughs> on right. the circle. Uh, man, Joel, I'm with you. We are speaking the same language. and anyone who's listened to us talk long enough knows that we are uh, this is the centerpiece of what we think and do and brainstorm and pray and and try to live our life out. We want to be strategic. We want to um, we don't want to play by Satan's terms. Uh, he is a liar and a deceiver. and one of the one of the things Satan does and one of the things he has done in the American church, and the American church has fallen prey to it, is that he has uh, he has convinced most churchgoers that it's offensive for the church to be on attack. And I don't know where we got that idea, it's just a lie, that's not the case. Jesus himself told us to storm the gates of hell because they won't, they won't prevail against us. And the the whole point of a church is it's an outpost to the kingdom of God where uh followers of Christ are knit together in in unity as a family, so they have support, they have strength, they're being equipped, the children are being raised up in the safety of that family, and then they're being sent out to be ambassadors for Christ wherever they go in and take culture where they're at. That's literally the work of the church, Um, and so uh, I, I like the idea that we're having the conversation of how do we be more offensive and strategic in our offensiveness, uh, instead of feeling like we've got to play defense all the time. You never win a game playing defense all the time. you got to go on. That's defense. right. Uh, so for us the South Loop, I, you know, I, I'll share a little bit of some of our strategy. I, we've the, the trick to strategy is you want to keep it as simple as possible. If you, make it as, if you make it too complex, if you make it so that you can't write it on a napkin or communicate it clearly in a couple minutes, then uh, you've lost everybody, including yourself, more than likely. Uh, and so my my aim as a church, number one, I want to be a faithful pastor, and I want our church uh, to grow in their discipleship and their love of the Lord. So internally, we have our whole own strategy of how are we doing that? How are we making disciples? How are we equipping disciples? Um are our people genuinely growing in the faith? Are they just playing church? And we're constantly asking those questions and tweaking what we're doing internally. But then, in terms of winning Chicago for the gospel, that's my vision, right? I'm connected our church to God's eschatological vision for this earth, which is every knee will bow and all of his creation will be in surrender underneath his dominion. So my vision is to is to move Chicago towards that because that's what's going to happen. Right. Well, what, are the, what are the strategic points? And in, in that place, you brought up Doug Wilson. He's a great writer when it comes to this. Uh, we should be looking for key strategic places where we can have the most impact. Right? If there's two militaries, two armies going face to face, and you just kind of smack into each other, you know it's this big melee, and everyone's kind of a mess, and you don't quite know what's going on. But what you ought to do is you ought to look for the weak places in in the opponent's place in their in their line of defense, and you ought to have sustained attack on that particular place. So I'm looking out over Chicago, I'm saying, well, where do we attack? And what I mean by attack is where do we smother with love? Where do we smother with holy spirit power? And with uh, discussion and evangelism, right? Attack in a, in a Christian sense. Uh, and so we have a few, a few particular places. Number one, we're in the South Loop, which is half a mile from the Loop. It's where you know tens of thousands of people gather every day to go about their business. Right. And there's unbelievable brokenness in a place like the Loop. I mean, people are losing their jobs. People are stressed out of their mind. And there they are every day. And uh, and so what we want to do is we want to go there and we want to evangelize faithfully and consistently. I think evangelism in the loop is one of the most effective strategies we can do. And just over the last month, uh, just over the last month, to be honest, we've seen a handful of folks come to faith in Jesus. Through- I
0: hear your daughters screaming for joy in the background,
1: man. They're so talk excited. They're talking about evangelism. They just start screaming for joy. That's oh, what they do. <laughs> they're, they're, they've got the spirit. Train them up in the way they should go. Amen. And so part one of the strategy is the loop. How do we evangelize in the loop? Part two is just next door to the South Loop is a brand new neighborhood being developed. It's the 78th neighborhood. It's, it's all, I mean, this is land where we used to go and do uh, ministry to the homeless uh, until two, three in the morning. I have spent nights in tents uh, yeah. with the homeless before in this area. This is territory that we know we've been in for a handful of years before it even gets built up. And it's just a great big
0: brown field right now. It's old train. It's a former train yard, exactly. so it hasn't been used in
1: in a long time. Right, and so now they're finally going to turn it into a real neighborhood. And man, I want to be in there from the ground up. i Yes. Like, it already, it already has a ground of disciple making in there. I now want to, as it's being developed, figure out how do I get into this from the beginning and actually develop. A, we have a what opportunity? When is Chicago going to build another neighborhood from scratch? from the ground up see that thing built up on christian values. I don't know how to do it, but I got a pretty awesome church with a lot of people yeah. with amazing skills and networks, so I want to put them to work on that. You know
0: they've got an advisory board as well, the 78. Uh, yeah. you can you can reach out to the mayor about that. I was I was talking with uh a friend of mine about that. Um th- there there is a spot for uh like faith leaders or whatever however they classify us to to get in there. So
1: I love that. I love that. Yeah, well, and and we have uh, yeah we have a few folks that are kind of working on that. Oh, nice. Of course we do. A, no, 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 no. But I mean, that's it's always good to be, remember, be reminded of that. And then finally, uh, Hyde Park. Hyde Park's just down the street from us. Uh, we're planting a church in Hyde Park. We just literally announced to our members two weeks ago, and the rest of the body um, this week uh, that our associate pastor is going to be being sent off with a handful of our folks uh, to plant a new church in Hyde Park. Hyde Park is uh, the neighborhood that houses University of Chicago, which is a strong, strong uh, atheist stronghold. It's a wonderful university, but it also is well known as a uh, an incubator of atheist philosophy and uh, worldview. And so, in terms of strategic locations in the city, I think that's one of the key ones. We want to be there. So we're planting a church to have a, an actual base of operations where we have a, a healthy church reach in the neighborhood, and then we want to be in there doing apologetics work, doing debate, having conversations and evangelism. Uh, and so uh, simply those are the th- big three, the Loop, the New Neighborhood, and and, and Hyde Park. I feel like that's uh, stretching ourselves pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty well and uh, yeah. what we're praying about right now. So when I say have a strategy, what we're doing is we're praying, we're holding this open to the Lord, we feel like God is behind the strategy. And now we're trying to equip our people to get on board with each of these routes that we're opening up. And we're thinking offensively as a church. That's great.
0: And, and I know, you know, you and I have talked before, because when you first told me the strategy, I was like, yeah. And number four has got to be a, a, a abortion clinic ministry. Right. Um, praying, out, praying and evangelizing. And you're like, yeah, that's, we're going to do that. That's part of evangelism.
1: So, Right, right. Yeah. There's a Planned Parenthood just in the loop on Michigan Avenue, actually. Yeah.
0: I and mean, it was it was cool how you pretended like that was part of your plan like I didn't actually like tip you off to that and like come up with that that's fine though you know it's fine it's
1: okay. <laughs> you did you did let me close my door
0: open. Hold on. cool cool so all right so we've covered a lot of ground today we we talked about the great commission we talked about how to find your own place in the great commission how to strategize, we talked about the spheres of authority within culture, uh, within uh, a nation. We talked about the the various spheres of influence on a society. And, you know, the, the, um, the gist of this, what I hope everybody takes away is this, Christ has given you a commission. He's given, he's given you, your church and your family good works to do. And he's given you, uh, he's given you resources to do those good works. And those good works are all centered around furthering the kingdom of Jesus Christ through the proclamation and investment of the gospel. And that's going to have implications into uh, all areas of life, but it's always, always centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to just really emphasize that point. Because there are a lot of counterfeit movements out there right now that tell you that they're doing God's work, but in reality, they are—they're—they um, they're, have a different gospel and they're not rooted in God's word. We have to test everything by Scripture and by the gospel and um, align ourselves with those movements that are furthering Christ's kingdom. So we had a few comments. So there's no possible way we can get to all of them, but. Um, I'll just say uh, Donna Flentke commented. She said, "Sometimes God answers us according to the idols in our hearts." Ezekiel fourteen four. So we need to make sure our lives are in line with His Word and our hearts are right when seeking counsel from Him. I think that's that's good. I think that's accurate. Um, we got a we got a, a view from the pro- proverbial life, and um, the proverbial life says. A good friend and I, Michael Foster, has been have been talking about this very topic. I've already replied. Um, I would love to get Michael Foster on this podcast. And actually, Rafe, this would be one of those ones I'd like to interview him with you because you just you've been doing that series on manliness and manhood. Uh huh. And Michael Foster, if it's the same Michael Foster that I'm thinking of, he has a ministry called "It's Good to Be a Man," uh-huh. and. He he's the reason why I'm much more comfortable using the word patriarch, uh, which is now a bad word in our uh, our current uh, society. But
1: most of the biblical words are bad
0: words. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so I've already told him I want to get him on the the podcast. But uh, he says, uh, "Great topic, guys. Thank you." And uh, oh, and he also said this post mill with two hands raising up. Listen, if post mill were biblical, I would be right there. I would be right there. You know, you know what I
1: love. You know, so in the conversation of post mill, on mill, man, it's a hard topic. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't. I don't. Sure. I don't claim that I have the corner on this figured out. I love R.C. Sproul. Uh, over the course of his career, regularly switched between, <laughs> between the different camps of of uh. Is that right? Technology. He has a whole series that he teaches on post millennialism. He was on mill for many years and, 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 and at many times he says, honestly, guys, I'm trying my best to figure this thing out. Uh, and so he's got a great teaching on Ligonier, a 10, I think it's a 10 part video series on eschatology, which is worth checking out. Wow. It'll give you, it's a great introduction to the whole conversation. If you want a, a very humble, but also profound thinker biblically on that topic.
0: Very good. All right, man. Um, this has been good. I know you got to go. I got to go.
1: This is good. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for hosting. It, as always,
0: dude. Um, it's a it's a joint effort. I appreciate it. And um, you know, once uh, once you get out of your quarantine here, um, we gotta we gotta get together. We gotta we gotta figure out how we're gonna do this. I'm just gonna say this on air, even though it's totally inappropriate for public discussion. We still we've got to set up a studio so we can do Worldview Wednesday regularly, and
1: you know. Well, i got to tell you right now, Joel, I just did it last week. What? I know. I turned my office into an epic, really nice-looking studio. That's what I'm
0: talking about. Are you serious?
1: <laughs> I did. I did. And I'm Man. quarantined. I can't be there right now. I'm quarantined because uh, I was... With uh, my sister this last weekend, and she came down with COVID, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm my whole family is quarantining for this week. I, none of us feel sick or anything like that, and my sister is sick, but I, obviously she's gonna be okay. I'm, we're praying, obviously. Um, however, uh, I'm not there today. I was bummed. I was gonna be on it. I was gonna be in, in front of the new wall we just built yesterday, and I got everything arranged for it.
0: Wow, man, that's I. I... Jeez, I can't believe it. I I gotta see this. I'm I'm I feel like a, a a kid, not a kid in a candy store, but a kid who found out from his mom and dad that he's gonna be going to a candy store later on. There that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at right now. I was
1: thinking of you, Joel, with every with every piece of wood paneling I put up on the wall. <laughs> I'm thinking Joel's gonna love this thing.
0: That's good, man. That's great. Uh I'm glad you built it too, because you know, uh I can lift things, but don't ask me to build things. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's that's really good. Um, All right. So stay tuned because uh, I'm going to be soon to be taking over Rafe's office and uh, we're going to be doing a lot of podcasting down there. Uh, All right. So connect with the Think Institute by going to thethink.institute. Get all of our back catalog of episodes by going to thethink.institute slash podcast. And you know what? We are supported and uh, I get to keep my family fed through like-minded individuals and churches like you and yours. So partner with the Think Institute financially and prayerfully by going to give.crew, C-R-U.org slash 1018841. Again, give.crew.org slash 1018841. I really appreciate, my wife and I really appreciate all of our very generous, wonderful ministry partners And um, you guys keep us going. So thank you very much. Um, Connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, ThinkSpot, and Parlor, and uh, probably a couple of other ones as well that I forgot about, Uh, Instagram, for example. But uh, connect with us on there. And this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the road of your spiritual journey. That's all we have for you. So until next time, I hope it made you... I think, wait for it, there it is, all right, adios!